Welcome to episode 51 of the Contra Fabulous podcast. I'm Audrey Waters. And I'm Kim Lane. And we are back home after a week of travel. Yeah, we are uh, um, happy to be home um, in Hermosa Beach, uh, but we were in uh, Virginia for most of the week. Yeah, I was invited there as part of the inauguration festivities for the new president, um, the University of Mary Washington um, swore in, I guess. I don't know um, what quite what the right, right verb would be um, on, on Friday, but I... Uh, ran a workshop on Wednesday, and I was part of a panel on Thursday. So it was good to be uh, at UNW. We have a lot of friends and colleagues there, so it was cool. Yeah, um, I just went along for the ride to see everyone because um, I like seeing everyone there at the, at, at the university, but also uh, from our friends from Reclaim Hosting. Uh, they are always good to see Tim. But... Um, I just, uh, not too much going on what I did in the background. I just kind of hung out at the hotel and, and did a few of the events, but, um, I'm working on still indexing, um, some of the major tech blogs as part of our, uh, prediction work that we're doing that we kind of introduced last week. Yeah. So do you want to, um, give a not too technical, technical rundown of, of what you're doing and how you think how you think we're going to tackle this project? I guess to fill people in who who missed last week's episode, we've started a new project. We're really interested. We've talked about this for a while. We're interested in the kinds of predictions that people in technology or adjacent to technology um, seem to make all the time about the future. Um, and you can sort of imagine this as a Mad Lib, right? Um, in blank years time, blank will replace, disrupt um, some other practice. So, I mean, the one that I often cite is Sebastian Thrun's proclamation that in 40 years' time, there will only be 10 universities left in the world and that Udacity will be one of them. Um, Various proclamations. I mean, you know, uh, Edison famously um, predicted, I think, in the 19-teens that textbooks would be gone within a few years. So we're, we're interested in tracking who's making these predictions, the kind of predictions that, um, that are being made, and how really these establish certain narratives about what the future is supposed to look like. That, you know, and I think we want to sort of demonstrate that these, this is not like predicting the weather. This is not modeled on any sort of scientific um, modeling. This is really just about marketing. Well, uh, and our work is, you know, so what I'm trying to do from a technical side is just kind of get an idea. I mean, we read all of them all the time. We read these, these, these predictions and some of them are pretty, you know, mundane about predicting what the mobile phone growth will be by, you know, next year or two years. But like you said, some of them are pretty out there as far as, you know, all the universities being gone or, uh, actually, you know, us uploading ourselves to the internet, um, to, you know, just basically all kinds of crazy stuff. And so trying to tackle this from a technical standpoint, I'm trying to start small with a very controlled set, but really taking a handful of the top tech blogs. So, uh, TechCrunch, ReadWrite, Mashable, and VentureBeat, and building indexes where I can query against them. And the, um, the basic query is by, 2000 whatever the year is 2017 2018 and 
um, it pulls up any page that has a reference like that. And like I said, some of them are pretty pretty boring, um, but some of them are um, pretty interesting and outlandish, and it's it's starting to pick up quite a bit. I mean, for each year, starting 2017 to 2025, you know, I'm picking up anywhere from 30 uh, predictions for that year made at some point in the past. Um, all the way up to about 111 to 150 or from so. One, from one publication, to be clear. Yeah, from one publication. So this, in this case, this is just TechCrunch. Um, I'm getting, you know, 111 um, uh, mentions of some sort of prediction for the year 2018. Again, a phrase just in that particular phrasing. I mean, there might be other ways in which it's being phrased. This is just our first sort of pass-through um, with particular... particular uh, uh, query string yeah I'll, I'll i'll evolve this um you know i'll evolve the index of that i'm pulling from um i'm also started pulling from gartner forrester um to get a kind of analyst dimension and then i'm also pulling from pr web and pr new newswire to get from a release and so i'll be expanding the index but i'll also be expanding on how you know as we learn and look through these um, we'll see other ways of making predictions, you know, rather than by uh, 2025, it'll be with by, you know, by the end of the next decade or within yeah, the, in five the years time, decade, yeah, the next five year time. So we'll keep building on what that query string looks like. Eventually, I'd like to get some sort of not to get too technical, but a regular expression that will help us um, identify these patterns. But then ultimately, we're going to go through and hand curate them for the for the best, because some of them are pretty boring. Well, but, actually, um, but to you know, in, in defense of, of the boring predictions, I think that those, I mean, these are issued all the time. And this is was sort of the inspiration or some of the inspiration for a talk I gave last fall at, um, at Virginia Commonwealth University. Um, the best way to predict the future is to issue a press release, right? So marketing firms and um, I guess you'd call them market research firms, but <laughs> we'll stress the word marketing. Um, uh, they issue these press releases all the time. And as you say, they, they are kind of mundane, what the mobile markets will look like, what the ed techs will, TED tech market will look like, what the VR market will look like. But I think that even those, um, they're, they're perhaps not as fanciful on the at first glance, they're not as fanciful as the kind of proclamations that someone like Ray Kurzweil might make. But they're actually, I think, quite important to think about because they really are, they're, they're a signal that I think drives the justification for investment. And I don't just mean venture capital investment, but I mean companies, and in, in my case, you know, schools, universities, investing in certain technologies. If you hear this message repeated that the VR, VR is coming, it's, quote, on the horizon, the market is growing, um, and then, you know, associate that with in, you know, in five years' time, in 10 years' time, students will be learning through you know, that um, virtual reality will part, be part of a, a regular part of student's day. All of these work together, I think, to really um, create a, a particular kind, a particular kind of future. And of course, the market research ones always make it look like it's a good deal, right? So even if these predictions don't come to come to fruition, um, and I think VR is a great example. VR has been predicted to be this massive multi-billion dollar industry for, I mean, well, for decades now. But even since, you know, in the last couple of years since Facebook bought Oculus Rift, there have been lots of predictions that 
Really, VR is just around the corner. Tons of headsets, millions of headsets are going to be sold. It's going to be the hot Christmas present, for example, and it just hasn't come to fruition. And yet many people, entrepreneurs, investors, schools, companies, are really pushing the story in part in order to justify the kinds of projects um, and products that they're also interested in selling or interested in buying. And so I think that that's why this is, I mean, even, you know, I, I am much more interested in the, 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 the ones that are um, ridiculous, certainly. Um, but I think even the mundane ones are really important to track on. Well, we'll have to come up with some sort of maybe ranking system for them um, for on a scale of 1 to 10 or something like what, um, you know, what's the the volatility or the outlandishness kind of ranking for it and put the, you know, some of them are just, you know, by 2017, th the, the industry is expected to double, you know, all right, pretty boring. But as we start looking through, well, what is the, the, the what? what is where is the who you know who is saying this what what is being referenced you know what 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 areas being you know whether it's ar whether it's vr whether it's ai whether it's ml you know api all these uh, acronyms iot which one it is um and then who's saying it and then you know i think through the three dimensions that i at least i'm starting here the the tech blogosphere the analyst and the press the pr kind of chain um you know it'll show it'll show some interesting um ways that we we magically um you know create the future and i'm sure there's no connection between techcrunch and and pr or the analysts and techcrunch here i'm i'm not saying there's some connection between them but uh um, you know, it'd be interesting to see what comes out of this. And as we start kind of build a, building a, a, a grid or a map, you know, that shows it, it'll, it'll tell more. What's so interesting is that you, we just started this, you know, the, the data, pull, you pulling the data um, this past week. And of course, um, already, even without using your more, um, your, your, the, the sites that you've been um, uh, scraping and whatnot, the data that you've been generating, it's really apparent just re keeping up with tech news that this is such a common trope. So this week um, was the Facebook's F8, their um, annual developer meeting, and it was full of these sorts of predictions about um, obviously, I mean, not surprisingly, a timeline of what Facebook's going to look like in the next two years, five years, eight years, ten years, etc. But then also what the kinds of technologies that Facebook's investing in building outside of, I think, its core technology, which is ad tech, right? Um, but then also Elon Musk um, has been really... Um, promoting his one of his new projects, this Neuralink um, work. And he similarly, um, every time he makes an announcement, it also it always comes with this particular trope that in, and in Elon's case, it's always in eight to 10 years time, this, this thing that I'm developing is going to be part of everyday life. And in this case, it's um, the neural, uh, neural, com neural implants, computer play, computer, based um, computer chip sort of things, but neural implants so that the human brain can interface directly, um, Musk says, with, uh, with a computer. Well, and, they, this is, and Facebook is doing this as well. There's an effort, a, a portion of effort that is, is non-invasive brain 
interfaces. So I'm assuming that looks like, you know, things that you wear on your head or something like that or pads, you know, that are connected to your, you shave your head and you wear these things or something. But uh, um, yeah, that's the, the latest, you know, we're, we're already dealing with AR, VR, AI, all these things that these other areas, but now we've got this new one. Um, and, you know, I, you know, from my vantage point, I couldn't think of any, anybody best to do this than Mark Zuckerberg and Elon Musk from a, like a James Bond kind of plot point, point of view. You know, it's like, it's beautiful. It's, it's like, these are the people we want building brain interfaces. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, so, so trying to, I mean, I, from what I do as API evangelist, you know, one of the areas of my research is roadmap, you know, trying to keep track of, well, what is Facebook's API's roadmap? What is Twitter's API roadmap? Because roadmaps, when you're doing API, is one of the ways that you um, communicate with your user base, the people who are building businesses and integrating your API into their tool. And so you want to share as much of your roadmap as you, as, as you, as makes sense as you have. But then you also have to be cautious about sharing too much and because your competitors will get wind of it they'll start building in that direction or in a competitive direction so you got to be careful kind of keep your cards close to your chest but you still want to share enough so the people who are building on you your partners and and people know what's going on but then there's this whole other layer of this performance even beyond your customers and your partners and, and the people that really, truly matter, this dance you do for venture capital and as part of the industry, which Forster & Gartner, TechCrunch, uh, Mashable, these are very much uh, all uh, mechanisms in this kind of uh, performance that has to occur about what you're going to be doing. And, you know, Facebook put out a 10-year a, a roadmap. So this is like beautifully, has a potential beautifully map with what we're doing, that if we can keep uh, kind of uh, aggregating these from across the different channels where they're being put out, and then keep a roadmap of Facebook and, and these other areas, as well as the topics like social, you know, so it's like, what's the 10 year roadmap for social, based upon what Mark Zuckerberg and, and Jack Dorsey and, and Reid Hoffman and all these people are, are, are saying um, that 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 tell us where they're going to be going. So, I mean, one of the things that, I, I mean, I think that this is less of a roadmap for investors um, than this is a roadmap for, than this is just a showcase for ideology, right? So it's, I mean, it's the, the notion of the, the high-tech industry of which I guess, you know, Elon Musk and Mark Zuckerberg are sort of the prototypical um, white male entrepreneur who sort of is the, fa the face of this. I mean, they're so wrapped up in these in these stories about innovation and technological progress. Um, and I think that that's what they're trying to sell us. I don't think that they're actually selling us on a particular, um, necessarily on what, what the next three to eight years of Facebook looks like. Um, more than likely the next three to eight years of Facebook are gonna look just like the past. It's just gonna be a reliance on ad technology. Um, but I think that what they're trying to sell us is that these are these are men, these are men with a particular vision for the future that are going to be leading us into tomorrow. And we're not supposed to ask questions um, about how realistic their visions are because it really is it really is sort of the sort of science fiction that I think Americans in particular are are quite are quite susceptible 
to a vision that the future is going to be increasingly technological, it's going to be automated, we're going to have flying cars, and that's all sort of inevitable, right? Um, and if you look, but that's what, to me, like, that's why these predictions, I think, are worth scrutiny. I mean, you know, again, Elon Musk says that within eight to ten years' time, healthy people will have these neural implants, um, these computer interfaces, in their brains. So he's talking, he is talking about surgery, right? And so, um, and eight to 10 years is also the timeline that Elon Musk has given for getting to Mars. Neither of these predictions are viable within eight to 10 years, right? They're, the science isn't there, the money's not there, um, the the way in which um, regulatory frameworks work, particularly when it comes to brain implants, like getting this past the FDA, like in order to have this future come to pass, we actually have to do these other things. And that's what I'm interested in too. So in order to have in, in eight to 10 years, healthy people having neural brain implants, we would have to get rid of the FDA. And, yeah. <laughs> right. So I wonder how we do that. Well, I mean, and so I think, you know, this is this is the underpinning of these kinds of arguments. Right. This is what's standing in the what's standing in the way of Elon Musk fulfilling this great promise about the future regulations. Unions, right. too, probably. Well, yeah, unions are what's standing in the way of, of, of Tesla. Yeah. So, I mean, these are, you know, this is not, this is not exactly about in eight to ten years' time we're going to have computers in our brains. This is about actually right now today making arguments for the dismantling of a regulatory framework. Well, and this is, I mean, this, you know, very much sounds of like the, 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 the titans of industry battling it out before, you know, Edison, uh, Westinghouse and Tesla and all these people who, who, um, you know, as well as the Rockefellers and the Carnegie's who were, who were captains of the industry. But like there's, you know, especially when it comes to electricity, when it comes to telephone, when it comes to radio, when it comes, there's, there's a lot of voodoo and magic involved and all of this dovetails very nicely with science fiction and, and, you know, time travel and, and all these things. So, so it's like it's 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 in a natural environment where you know people are 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 just dreaming this stuff up, but right now it's just a, 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 I think a, a particularly um, the 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 money behind it you know so part of that that dance for the VC is to get people throwing money at you whether this is feasible or not you you just you've captured their imagination you do it but the other part of it is 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 definitely very much mainstream America and and to the ideology part of it that you know really this is playing out in our elections this is playing out in in our safety and cybersecurity i mean facebook and twitter um and the and and these people are are very much woven into this our 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 energy sector energy independence um so so there's you know all these the ideology weaves in with what's you know the power plays i guess that are going on right now in our in our political system yeah i mean and so if you're if you're going to make the argument that in 8 to 10 years time we're going to be on mars um, and you think about what's standing in the way of, uh, of space missions in the United States, um, f government funding is standing in the way. 
Um, and I mean that sort of literally like NASA's budget is not large enough to be able to do that. And certainly under Trump, we seem to be dismantling all sorts of funding mechanisms for, for research. So government, so, but that also feeds really, I mean, this is part of this whole other neoliberal um, thrust of, of the high-tech Silicon Valley um, uh, folks is that this is, you know, government can't do it, so we need to outsource this future. The future is going to be private companies, um, private companies like Elon Musk's that are that are making these scientific breakthroughs. And of course, what that means is that the the, the knowledge that's that's gleaned in this is proprietary. I mean, the uh, the the kinds of things that we learned by uh, through NASA, through the space program, isn't simply we learned a lot of things about the moon, or we learned a lot of things about the solar system, or we learned a lot of things about building rockets that were that were designed to leave the atmosphere. We also learned a lot of other of, of other things about other kinds of technologies that were that because of because this was done, you know, in a, as as a as public research, they weren't sort of locked away under proprietary I. Uh, um, IP um, and allowed other people and other companies, you know, certainly um, to, to build on the knowledge that we gained from the space program. And again, so once you privatize this, once you privatize the future of space travel, once you privatize the future of of um, of the kind of medical stuff that that Musk is talking about, privatize it and productize it. It really does um, reshape the world in which you know public access to knowledge, public knowledge, public knowledge creation um, is um, increasingly loses out to these. I mean, you call them captains of industry, but they're really cap like they're really into sort of holding um, holding intellectual. Um, intellectual ideas captive in order to profit from them. And so I think to me, like, that's what's interested in looking at these predictions of, of, of the future. I mean, I, you know, I don't, I never believed for one minute when Sebastian Thrun or when Clayton Christensen say that in X number of years time, we're going to, all the universities are going to be gone or bankrupted. That's not, that's not an accurate prediction. They haven't modeled that based on an assessment of data. But what it is is an utterance that actually justifies further de defunding and further sort of further dismantling, further privatization of, of higher ed. And so it's not so much about what happens in 40 years' time. Is Sebast was Sebastian Thrun right? Or wrong, it's what happens this year, right? As you know, in state legislatures all over the country, when people systematically again and again, you know, think about what what is it going to look like? Are we going to fund? Are we going to fund universities? Or have we? Uh, or have we? Have we given ourselves over to this future where we shrug and say, "Looks like they're going out of business." After all, Clayton Christensen said they would. Well, and all all of this is. Is the uberification of, you know, X, you know, so it's very much the, you know, the the assault on regulations, the assault on labor, and and how people make a living, and and like you said, as as they're shining the spotlight on this kind of ideological, dreamy sci-fi, you know, we've 
we've encountered in our travels many people who are like, why would you hate on Elon Musk? Why would you hate on Mark Zuckerberg? They're like building really amazing stuff. They're visionaries. They're like dreaming big. And this is how we, you know, got to the moon. And this is with, and then while they're thinking these grand thoughts, basically, you know, these industries, education, uh, transportation, the taxi industry, uh, space, energy, all these are on, you know, being, being attacked under assault by these, these privatization efforts. And, these, and then you know, simultaneously right now, the, the deregulation that's going on um, from the top down and that dismantling. And that's why you know, when, when you look at the whole thing like fake news and, and these mechanisms that allow these people to kind of take control of power and dismantle these things that used to be for these new privatized subscription-based, um, you know, magic, uh, AI magic that they're selling us, um, they're, uh, you know, we're just, you know, people are really bought into it and not really seeing what's going on because they're distracted by these these grand visions and these predictions. That actually reminds me of reactions. Um, I shared a story on Facebook this week because I was actually horrified to hear that Planned Parenthood is joining um, a Silicon Valley tech accelerator program following in the footsteps of the ACLU, which joined um, Y Combinator, um, a, a startup accelerator program. Planned Parenthood is joining 500 startups. And um, I, I find this, I mean, I find this horrific um, in a number of levels because I think it is sort of, ha again, handing over um, handing over a, a mission around the public good to, um, uh, and of course, I mean, both, you know, both Planned Parenthood and the ACLU, uh, ACLU are, are, are not for profits, but it really does seem that they are handing over, um, handing themselves over to this other ideological bent. And of course, in both of these cases, right, Y Combinator, I mean, how can ACLU participate in Y Combinator when one of its partners is Peter Thiel, who is clearly like enemy number one, or certainly last year, proved himself to be an em enemy number one of the free press by suing Gawker out of existence. And then Planned Parenthood joining um, 500 Startups, which is led by Dave McClure, who just... Um, is sort of, <laughs> um, uh, how shall I say this? I mean, not known for, for, for having very nice things to say about women. And so, um, you know, and this idea that in order to, in order to build tech products, right? So both ACLU and Planned Parenthood want to be able to build apps, but that the, the building apps now has to take this particular format in which you get venture capital, it becomes a high risk, high growth endeavor, and that you now have a chunk of, a chunk of that app owned by these um, accelerator programs that are known for, I think, exploitative practices around data. And I mean, if nothing else, known for like really having being these exclusive white male um boys you know boys clubs really and so you know i think we've we're handing over we're we're handing over our imagination about the future um well this is just i mean this is just one of many fronts i mean i think part of you know the reason that set the stage for what we're seeing at the white house and at the federal government level was the the um 
the assault on you know the open data assault on government the you know um google um all these all these tech companies sending people to the white house to the government and all of us you know and i was part of this i'm not um, again not excluding myself and we kind of you know soften things up a little bit for you know it's like this is good this you know this allowed kind of set the stage for this ideology to creep in that hey this is how you innovate this is how you do things cool this is how you know and 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 you know not not saying that all of this stuff is bad because there can be good things that happen it but while we're doing it we're 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 very much ignoring all much of the bad that that's happening just um just focusing exclusively on the good and and you know this is this is conveniently going hand in hand as things are being defunded as what's going to happen to radio you know public radio as that gets defunded what what happens to planned parenthood as it gets defunded what happens to meals on wheels as it as it gets defunded what happens to all of these things as they're they're sliding out and being privatized i mean you you know sure they're there might be some innovation in the cracks and some new ways of doing things, but then all the people who get left behind in that um, doesn't get discussed. Well, I mean, but then the way in which it gets framed is you get Uber for birth control, you get Uber for um, elderly meal meal delivery, right? Uber becomes this model in in Silicon Valley speak for for replacing what would be publicly funded services. So not only does it get privatized, but it also the, the risk so the risk the risk moves on to um, away from sort of the, the it moves away from being a public good into individualized risk. Um, but then also the people participating in as um, work you know, as both as workers and recipients of these quote-unquote benefits um, also find themselves increasingly precarious. And again, under this new data regime um, that I think is, I mean, I, I cannot believe that Planned Parenthood, I cannot believe that Planned Parenthood would, would do this knowing the sensitivity of, um, of, of, of the kinds of data um, that is associated with visiting um, with visiting um, with visiting a clinic, you know, I mean, in this the there was a story in the New York Times today, another story about Uber, um, and I mean, at some point, it feels like I, I mean, but the you can just see the culture, the culture at Uber is so corrupt and so willing to lie and manipulate and hide their illegal activity. Um, and it's not just, it's like permeates the entire, the entire culture of, of the people who work, who work there. And so this, this story talked about the ways in which um, Uber was, had geofenced the Apple um, headquarters so that the Apple engineers who are assessing the app in order for it to pass the certain, again, regulations, rules, right, that Apple has for apps in order to be in the app store, that Uber had sort of geofenced it, so a bit like the grayballing controversy um, a month or so ago, that, that Apple engineers couldn't actually see what was happening um, happening with the app. And again, buying data from from these lists of other silicon, other venture-backed start, startups um, in order to sort of do to sort of have this sort of, I mean, I guess it's, I mean, I guess you think of it in terms of almost like a commercial warfare um, with, with Lyft, right? So it's like the cyber warfare, um, but um, between um, two corporations.
Well, and, I mean, the Uber model or the Uber blueprint shows us how, you know, you 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 optimize um, who on the labor front. So who are, you know, in in the Uber case, it's your drivers. You know, you really kind of dial this in so you can pay them as little as you can. You offload all the risks. So if that's education, that's that's the teacher, that's faculty. You know, if that's the energy, that's it's the student. That's the too. Yeah, the student too. Sorry. And if it's energy, you know, it's the installer. It's the the small mom and pops. You know, regional operators and the customer. And, so, <laughs> and the customer. And 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 when it comes to you know healthcare, it's the it's the patient. It's the doctor. It's the nurse. You know, the nurses are going to carry the heaviest. And so that's just from the labor front. But from a regulatory, we've seen what Uber can do when it comes to police, journalism, and and the federal government investigating what they're doing, or city government and state governments, you know, investigating what they're doing. Is um, and then and then now this layer from the platform, so and device based, so so they're able to you know orchestrate this 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 complete experience from all these different angles. Fraud. And, yeah, and and that people want to sign up for this. That that this is how you know, um, you know, this is how you innovate. This is how you do things. This you should be doing things like this, and this is how, somehow a model that we should follow, and with fully aware like of the. The, the the um the issues that Silicon Valley has with women and people of color and the diversity challenges that that have been going on and are just blaringly loud at Uber as well as many startups that that someone like Planned Parenthood would want to sign up for that just blows me away. Yeah, um, it's the latest this latest story um, from Uber. Uh, I mean, I. I have to imagine that Travis Kalanick is probably on his final days as CEO of Uber, but in some ways it's it's a bit, I mean, it's just going to be a cosmetic change because I think that this this is an illness that's much, goes much deeper um, in Silicon Valley. And it's the things that I talk about all the time, this sort of, this this belief in libertarianism, right? I mean, Kalanick is um, a huge fan of Ayn Rand, um, the belief in, like the, the neoliberalism, um, this idea that the new economy is going to, that is, the new economy is about shifting risk onto individuals and that that's somehow the sharing economy or the gig economy and that that's freedom rather than absolute economic precarity. And when you combine that with austerity, right, with, with, the, kinds of pra- with the kinds of policies that we see under neoliberal um, leaders of the slashing, you know, slashing the kinds of public social benefits. Um, the the future that these folks want to want to build is incredibly is incredibly horrific. And so, for me, like that's I mean, again, like to bring it, you know, to come full circle as we wrap up, like that's why this prediction work is 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 so important because it's not saying. Oh, you know, you said by 2020, 500,000 VR sets were sold and only 399,000 VR headsets were sold. Ha ha, you suck. Like that's, um, although I'm, I'll probably do that, but, um, it's, but it's, but it's also being able to really interrogate some of these other messages that are being sold when people like Mark Zuckerberg, when people like Travis Kalanick, when people like Elon Musk say the future is going to look like X, Y, or Z, and they paint a picture, you have to ask yourself, like, not so much like, you know, you have to ask yourself a bunch of questions about what is this, what is the story that we're actually 
being sold here because it's not just about brain implants. It's not just about Mars. It's not just about um, uh, the, these kind, you know, uploading your soul into into the internet. Um, it's a series of, I think, it's a series of actions and policy actions that these companies are taking right now, right, right now, in order to steer the future into I, what I think is going to be an increasingly dystopian one if we don't actually sort of, you know, again, resist, uh, I think, resist the sort of libertarian um, market philia that they all that they all seem to to promote. Well, I think as we push back on this narrative and these stories and and shine a light on these predictions, you know, hopefully in there we can we can help amplify some of the stories of of the people actually in the cracks, the actual the people that 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 libertarian narrative um, chooses to ignore or purposefully leave out of the narrative and um, kind of you know set set the balance back in our favor a little bit, I guess. Yeah, we can we 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 can sure. We can sure die trying, right? <laughs> exactly. Alrighty. <laughs> All right. Until next time. Until next week.